This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. For over a century, Fordham Press has been publishing boundary-breaking books. And today we check in with two members of the oldest Catholic University Press in the U.S. to find out what we should be reading this year and what we might have missed but definitely should check out from last year's book list. I want to welcome Fred Knopfbauer, the director of Fordham University Press, and Kate O'Brien Nicholson, the associate director and director of marketing and sales at Fordham Press. Now, uh, before we get into your book list, um, let me ask, what differentiates your publishing house from others? Who wants to take that? Sure. So, so Fordham University Press, as you mentioned, is, is uh, you know one of the oldest uh, Catholic University presses. Uh, we were established in uh, 1907, and actually, it was started when Fordham had a medical school, and it was uh, published uh, was overseen by the, the dean of the of the medical school, and they published uh, you know medical books, and then it's evolved into a, a leading academic publisher in the humanities and social sciences. So we have a long history of publishing you know philosophy, American philosophy, literary theory, um, history. Uh, religion. And then when I came on board in 2009, I established the Empire State Editions imprint, which focuses on books about New York City and New York, but really with a heavy concentration on, on New York and urban studies. And that's been really exciting. So we've developed a really strong reputation in, in that area. So I think that kind of um, distinguishes uh, us as, as a leading press. So let's get some of these books that you guys uh, chose for your, your best of book list. Uh, so the first book on your list was um, one about Pope Francis. Uh, that's your first suggestion. It's not even a book, it's a series. So tell me about the book and what will readers love about it? Well, this is an interesting collection. It's a translation. The book was published in Italian by Rizzoli. And it was one big volume. And they were looking for an English translation. And through a Jesuit in Rome who contacted Fordham saying, you know, we would like a Jesuit connection. So I think it was the Dean of, of uh, Social Work, I believe it was, no, Education, sorry. And she contacted the provost office who contacted me and we were able to publish the translation because we got donations. So we got these very generous donations to help translate the book and we did it in three volumes. And so this is, we're, this season, we're, we're going to be doing a box set of the three volumes. So of his homilies while he was Archbishop Bergoglio of Argentina. So I, it's just a, it's a, it's a, you know, an unsurpassed opportunity to understand the vision of Pope Francis. You know, he's the first in many ways, the first Pope from the Americas, the first Jesuit, uh, the first Francis, the first child of immigrants from the old world, uh, transferred, transformed by the new world, and he was returned to lead the whole world. So it's his, his elo eloquent homilies and speeches that have inspired um, the faithful of Argentina for decades. So it's, it's an opportunity to see his early writings and how they've influenced his, his, his time as Pope. Some would say that Pope Francis uh, has an unconventional approach to biblical teaching. Um, how far back does this book go and how close to him becoming who he's known for now, like where, where does it stop and start in, in this, in this uh, collection? It's, it stops right before he becomes the Pope. So it's 2013 uh, is when the, the homilies stop. So volume one 
is from 1999 is when the first uh, homily through 2013 is volume three. Yep, so volume one is 1999 to 2004, volume two is 2005 to 2008, and then volume three is 2009 to 2013. So, and then um, he's announced as um, the Pope after that. It kind of, you know, the collection illuminates, you know, the vision of a, of a great pastor, um, you know, kind of bear witness to his profound faith and showcases remarkable talent for connecting with communities of faith and for people walks of life. So you see like his, his early thinking in these homilies that are now being um, exposed as his, his uh, words uh, today. Fred and Kate, for them to reach out for Fordham Press to translate this book, it must have been a boon you know, in your cap. It must be something to be proud of, would you say? We were really fortunate um, that that you know we were able to uh, publish the trilogy, and um, we put a lot of effort into building a marketing campaign, um, you know, with the intention of of uh, capitalizing on the readership we've built with each volume. So um, you know, it's it's a it's di it's a different kind of project for us in that um, this particular these volumes, we don't have access to an author that can help uh, promote the book. So, um, yeah, so we, you know, we really, we had a number of uh, meetings and, and launches along the way and um, the box set we wanted to have, um, you know, ready for the spring uh, in anticipation of uh, customers looking for inspirational reading as we emerge you know, from this challenging time um, that we're in and um, as we're entering uh, the Advent and Easter holiday season. So it's, it's really a perfect gift for family and friends. And um, we're just super excited to have this on our, uh, to have had these volumes on our list. Yeah, exactly. And it ties, it ties into the mission of, of, of the university um, itself. So it's nice to have that connection. We, you know, we're not, required to publish, you know, you know, Jesuit or Catholic books were independent, you know, uh, entity in that way, but it's nice to have this connection to the university uh, with the, you know, teaching to the whole person and education. So, so we felt that was great. And uh, speaking of your list, the second book on your list, uh, the next book for your must read of 2021 um, is a biography. Now, who is Eunice Hunton Carter? And why did you pick this biography for your 2021 list? Yeah, so so um, Eunice Hunton Carter is is known for her involvement in the Lucky Luciano case in the in 1936. So she rose to prominence as the only woman on the Thomas Dewey's famous gangbuster team that prosecuted you know mobster Lucky Luciano. But she has a much more interesting history than just that. She was actually the first. Uh, black woman to graduate from Fordham's law school, which is fascinating connection to Fordham and, and the press. Um, so she received a law degree in May of 1933. And so she has a, a life history devoted to um, social justice and civil rights. And uh, she has a family, her, her grandparents and her parents 
were um, very staunch advocates and activists for civil rights and social justice. So this biography goes deeper into her life, which is fascinating. Her grandson, Stephen, wrote a book about her, but mainly focused on the Lucky Luciano case. Our book, the Fordham Press book, gives a much more deeper look into Eunice's life. And I think it's fascinating, really do. And what can you tell me about the author of the book? So the author, it's, it's two authors, Marilyn Greenwald, and she's a professor in journalism at Ohio University, and she's written other books. Uh, and uh, the co-author is Ayun Lee, and she's a reporter at CNBC covering the U.S. financial markets, and her work has appeared in Reuters, Bloomberg News, and Business Week. So it's a combination of a, a journalist and an academic who are writing this biography. So it's based on you know, research and archival research, but also that journalistic uh, writing uh, part of it. And I love how Fordham, as you said, delves a lot into, uh, Fordham Press delves a lot into um, books that are interesting to Jesuits, books that are interesting to just New Yorkers in general. Um, and now we're dealing with civil rights and we're dealing with uh, other issues that are important to, to America in general. Um, how do you guys at Fordham Press decide which books you're going to market and how. Is there any kind of magic to it? How do you figure that part out? We usually do um, a few uh, trade books and, and, and um, sort of academic trade crossover books that have, a, um, have both a mainstream audience and uh, um, <clears throat> an academic audience. So, um, you know, we usually um, market our our lead trade titles. We have um, you know full blown um, marketing and advertising online campaigns, and um, whereas some of the more scholarly titles, you know, um, we have a more formulaic uh, type of of marketing plan, um, you know, customized, you know, to to the particular um, discipline, but um, yeah, we kind of, we we occasionally um, we hire outside publicists um, if we have the budget for it um, uh, to help out with some of the some of the um, the lead trade um, titles. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm joined by Fred Knopfbauer and Kate O'Brien Nicholson from Fordham Press. They're discussing the must-read books for 2021 and some we may have missed but definitely should read from the year 2020. The next one on your uh, must-read list, uh, and this is from a Bronx-raised filmmaker. So why did you choose Kubrick's Men? Why did that make your must-read list? So, so Richard, Richard um, Morrison is my colleague, and he's the editorial, editorial director at Florida Press. He had been discussing 
um, the author Richard Rambus's research and writing on Stanley Kubrick for him for a number of years. Um, as some of these early pieces um, appeared in publications like Camera Obscura and other journals. So his working relationship with the author goes back to his days as an editorial assistant at Duke University Press, uh, where he published uh, Closet Devotions in the late 90s as part of this series Q, a queer theory series. Um, so this particular book is, is a provocative, stylishly written rereading of Kubrick, whose every movie was something kind of, of a cultural event. And it offers the first sustained discussion of male sexuality, including homosexuality, in Kubrick's highly male-oriented work. So the book just really kind of sucks you in. It's interesting. It fits in with other parts of our list. Um, you know, film, gender, uh, you know, cultural studies, really a great great interdisciplinary book for the list. So this would be good for somebody who is a film buff, a Kubrick lover, or just wants a really good read about a really interesting man. Exactly. Robin, I just wanted to mention that um, we actually uh, licensed the rights for um, Kubrick's Men uh, for the audiobook to Tantor Media, which is really super exciting for us. That means that um, we've licensed the rights to this company so that they can um, distribute, uh, create and distribute the audiobook. Many of the publishers in the UP world are, um, they're expanding their publishing models to include audio, the audiobook format because it's so uh, popular right now. And also photog photographers as well. I would say. Oh, there's, there's great pictures in it? Fabulous photographs and um, yeah, and on the cover um, there's a picture of um, a photo of Stanley Kubrick with Kirk Douglas from um, the movie um, Spartacus that came out in 1960. Yeah, because Kubrick did, uh, did he do um, Orange? What's the Orange book? Yeah, Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange, yes, which it, which I, I mean, you could have a an hour discussion about that film in itself, and then Eyes Wide Shut with with Tom Cruise. So yeah, and, and Nicole Kidman. Kidman. Yeah. Yes. So and and uh, that's something that I guess we don't think about sometimes as a as a as a reader, um, or I don't think about sometimes. Other you guys do at Board of Press. How important are photos, pictures, those little um, visuals? To the books when you put them out? How important are they? Or are they? Are you concerned more with like the writing? Well, that's a good question. I mean, the, I think the pictures help. Uh, they add an, another level, another layer to the story. People love the visual. And especially if it's a book that we're trying to reach a general interest audience, that helps because they have the pictures. It kind of gives it, um, you know, this, this appeal. Um, the writing obviously is important. And, and I, I don't want to get too deep into it. But all of our books, Robin, have to be peer-reviewed by two outside specialists. So no matter if it's a scholarly book or a general interest book, it's still a protocol of a university press that has to be peer-reviewed, and then it goes in front of a board. So we have a board of 10 um, faculty at Fordham across the various departments, you know, religion, history, art, sociology, anthropology, you know, English, philosophy, religion, and we meet monthly, and they have to approve all books that get published by the press. So there's a lot of peer review that's involved in the process. Fred, Fred why, how does that help? How does that help in, in book choices? Well, 
It's, it's required. Uh, we're, we're a member of the Association of University Presses, and to be a member, you have to go through this peer review process. But they are, are giving a deeper look at this book, and they may raise issues or, you know, maybe concerns or suggested revisions. So it really helps to make the book better. So, and then when it's going out for reviews, you, you're not going to be blindsided by something that may have been missed or overlooked. Um, you know, the, like today we had a board meeting this morning actually, and we're looking at a book on architecture in New York and a couple of board members said, you know what, Fred, she, she's not discussing race and you can't talk about like Lincoln Center or, or downtown or Harlem without discussing race. And I'm like, you're right. So I have to go back to the author and say, hey, you know what, when you're discussing, you know, Lincoln Center, you know, all the, all the, the you know, the Latinx, you know, the Puerto Ricans that got displaced during that time, you have to talk about it. So that kind of stuff in peer review comes out and in the board. So it really makes the book stronger. Yeah. And I would think that it would also, you know, just basically would help the writer become a better writer because you're saying, hey, you know, let's look at this a little bit larger in a little bit larger context. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I want to move on to the next book in your list of must-reads from Fordham Press, uh, Fred and Kate. Let's talk about the next book in the series, which is um, about Civil War and New York City. Can you describe what Banished Children of Eve is about and why you chose it? Yeah, this is, this is interesting, Robin. So this is our first foray into, into fiction, really. We do two poetry books a year through um, the Poets Out Loud for the Fordham English Department, but we no normally just focus on nonfiction. This is our first foray into fiction, and we're excited to have a new sub-imprint called New York Relit. So Peter Quinn, who's the author of Banished Children of Eve, he contacted me out of the blue, and he had, he had published with major trade houses, Viking Penguin and then the Overlook Press. So he had five books, in his collection, his longtime publisher, Peter Mayer, died. He, he created, started Overlook Press. He died last year, and his books went to Abrams, and Abrams decided to put them out of print and reverted the rights to Peter. Peter contacted me and said, would you be interested in taking on my collection? Fordham is featured, Fordham University is featured in all of my books, and I have a deep connection to the university. Peter Quinn, the author, graduated in Fordham, his two children went to Fordham, his parents were married in University Church at Fordham on Roosevelt Campus. So he had this real connection and I thought, wow, this is fascinating. We don't really do fiction. Maybe there's a way we can do it. So I discussed it with the team, uh, the editorial team, and they all thought, what an opportunity. So really we're doing these reissues of fiction that were previously published and bringing them out again. So this is the first book to launch the new uh, New York Relit imprint. Um, so it's it's a you know look at um, you know the the race riots and a cast of characters during that time. And speaking of that, Kate, how challenging has it been in marketing these books? Um, not just your you know best of twenty twenty, but marketing in general books when nobody allowed to go outside. <laughs> how has COVID affected the marketing when it comes to Fordham Press? Well, you know, you know, Robin. Back in March, we had um, had to shift shift a couple of our um, our in person book launches to virtual events. Um, fortunately, in both cases, um, we had some advantages. And um, you know, 
I think as a small marketing department um, with you know limited resources, partnering partnering with institutions on these events um, makes a whole lot of sense for us. Um, the geographic barriers no longer exist. We're reaching new markets and we're saving um, saving money. So um, there are a lot of benefits to it. Let's put it that way. Fred and Kate, we looked at your uh, list for 2021 last year. 2020 was a bit of a doozy, at, to say the least. Um, so uh, there may have been some books that readers might have missed out on uh, because of the world and everything that was going on in 2020. So let's go through some of your must-read picks from 2020 that, that uh, Fordham Conversation listeners may want to check out. Um, the first book that you recommend readers check out is called Notable New Yorkers of Manhattan's Upper West Side. Now, I have to, I have to admit, my boss and I fought over who was going to do this interview. He won. George Bodonke, fine. He gets to do it. Um, but uh, what are some of the highlights of this book, and why did you guys uh, pick it for your Revisit 2020 list. Sure, yeah. So this is part of our Empire State Editions imprint. And this, this came out in, in fall 2020. And we had a really strong... Um, Empire State Editions um, uh, collection uh, during the fall, and this is this is one that's very unique because it's not a typical history, you know, uh, you know, one arc throughout the book that looks at a history. It's looking at like 600 notable New Yorkers, former residents of Manhattan's, you know, Upper West Side, uh, and it's and it's this area between 90th to 125th Street. So it's like one of these books that you can just pick up, turn a page, and just, you know, you don't have to read it from, from beginning to end. Or, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I, you know, even in, during COVID, you're like, you know what, let's go out and walk. Even the New York Times, like, walking is good. You can create your own walking tour and go down, you know, 96th Street, 95th Street, look at a building, open the page, and see who lived there. You know, people like Humphrey Bogart and Ira Gershwin and Thurgood Marshall and even some people not so known. It's just a really great kind of unique book that was kind of fun for us to do. Walking tour sounds like a marketing thing to me now. Okay, walking tour. You guys take everybody on a walking tour to the places in this, this notable New Yorkers book. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, he's got a, um, a solid platform and, uh, you know, his network of Upper West Siders. Um, so, so, you know, we've, we've uh, leveraged that um, to publish that that network of his to publicize the book and um, Jim and his wife uh, Janet actually hosted a, a book launch in uh, November at uh, a local actually in December in a local um, at a local Hungarian bakery on 111th Street for um, Jim and Janet uh, Jim, Jim is the author, Jim Mackin, and his wife, Janet Mackin, who are both Fordham graduates as well. Yeah. And let's move on to our book six, The Neighborhood Manhattan Forgot. Uh, what are the highlights of this book? Yeah, so this is another Empire State Editions book. And this, is, this came to me actually through a literary agent, um, Malaga Baldi of the Baldi Agency. So it's the story of not only the northern Manhattan neighborhood of Audubon Park, but the famed naturalist James, John James Audubon and George Bird Grinnell and their family. So it's this classic story of New York City, the turn of the 19th century to the 20th century, and how development crept up to Washington Heights, 
uh, and orchards gave way to subways and development and, and buildings. And, you know, it just had a real personal connection to me because I, I've lived in Washington Heights since 2001. So I have a real, you know, passion for the neighborhood. So this really was something that personal interest. I, I think it's a great microcosm of, of New York City and the history of New York uh, in this particular neighborhood. And Fred, our final look uh, back at a book, a must-read book from 2020 is called White Reconstruction. What can you tell me about this book? Yeah, so this is another one that was acquired by um, Richard Morrison, my editorial director at, at the press, and he's worked with, with uh, Dylan Rodriguez for years. And, you know, as, we're, as you know, 2020 was fraught with issues of race and racism and, and so much um, of, of of you know tragedies like George Floyd, um, you know. So so we're in this moment, and this book is, is looking at the long history of the United States as a as a project of anti-black and racial racial colonial violence, uh, and it's 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 long before and well after um, you know the November twenty sixth white nationalism, white terrorism, and white uh, fascist uh, uh, maneuvers. Um, so it's, it's useful for scholarly activists, teachers, academics of all kinds. It's a combination of polemic racial theory and abolitionist analysis. Uh, and it's, it's written by a co-founder of Critical Ethnic Studies, um, Dylan, uh, Dylan Rodriguez. And he was recently awarded the 2020 Freedom Scholar Award. So uh, a really major, major book uh, by, a, by a noted scholar. Uh, so we're really thrilled to have it on our list. One thing I wanted to say about the um, about white reconstruction um, in July, we had launched a targeted uh, online campaign called Dismantling Racism One Book at a Time. Um, so we came up with this collection of books dealing with race and offered readers a free ebook through um, from July through the end of August. Um, and the, the, the campaign uh, was really successful. We reached an audience of over 16,000 people um, within the Fordham community and, and beyond. Um, so um, it was really amazing. And, um, and the other thing I wanted to mention uh, in recent news is that uh, this is moving on to, um, we had a, actually we, the New York Times um, had selected one of our uh, poet Poets Out Loud titles um, called um, the My Daily Actions or Media or the Media Rights by uh, Sam Brooke Korfman, and it was um, it was selected as one of the best of the ten best poetry volumes of 2020, and um, yeah, so we were super excited about that, and all of our titles are. Um, we're offering FUV, um, WFUV uh, listeners a 30% discount um, through the end of February. Um, and all they have to do is go to our website, www.fordhampress.com and use um, discount code BEST2020. And um, they just have to plug that in at, at checkout.
I'd like to thank my guests, Frank Knockbauer, Director of Fordham University Press, and Kate O'Brien Nicholson, Associate Director and Director of Marketing and Sales at Fordham University Press. You can listen to Fordham Conversations Sunday at 6 a.m. on 90.7 WFUV or online at WFUV.org. You can also tune in to WFUV's Fordham Conversations podcast, listen on WFUV's Fordham Conversations page, like Fordham Conversation on Facebook, and follow Fordham Conversations on Twitter. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Hi, I'm Robin Shannon, one of the hosts of WFUV's Fordham Conversations. This weekly public affairs show taps into the Fordham University community to discuss and uncover issues that impact our world. And you know what? Fordham Conversations may be looking for you. If you're a Fordham student, alum, or have a connection to the university and an interesting story to tell, you may make a great guest for this show. Some issues we look at are serious, like COVID's effect on low-income communities or examining presidential succession and the 25th Amendment. Some shows are fun, like talking to a motorcyclist who rode from the Bronx to Brazil just for kicks. We've had authors, actors, researchers, sports greats, and we might be looking for you. If you or someone you know would make an interesting interviewee, send your story and your contact information to Fordham Conversations at WFUV.org. That's Fordham Conversations with an S at WFUV.org. And make sure you listen to Fordham Conversations every Sunday at 6 on 90.7 WFUV or online at WFUV.org.